This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. What is your next mission from God? We all have one. God has something in mind for us right where we are. Welcome to Your Next Mission from God with Julian Durko, where the saints show us how it's done. They've been through it, and sometimes they even got it wrong before they got it right. Based on Julie's book, Discover Your Next Mission from God, Saints Who Found God's Will and How You Can Too, Julie shares unique stories from the lives of the saints to show how they searched for and discovered God's will for their lives. Do we have first things first in our life? Do we have our loves in a proper order? Well, I believe that St. Thomas More had his loves in a proper order. He had things aligned according to God's will and he stuck by it to the end. He had a sense of integrity that did not allow him to compromise. And this is something that we can learn from, draw from, and actually through the communion of saints, ask his intercession in our lives so that we can be courageous and have a spiritual integrity that is unshakable as far as asking us to compromise. Because we live in a time now where we are being asked to compromise a lot all the time. And if we get used to compromising our integrity and our beliefs and the truth of Jesus Christ in little things to gain advantage, it will be an incremental path down the wrong road. So. St. Thomas More is here to give us some guidance and to walk with us in this particular day in time. So I asked you, do you have your first things first? Well, he certainly did. So I want to tell you a little bit about Thomas More. Of course, we know that he was martyred. He spent uh, months in the Tower of London before he was executed by King Henry VIII. And so in the story, we're thinking of the English persecution So let's back up the track a little bit regarding the English persecution, which began with Henry VIII. It's interesting that when Luther was starting the Reformation in Europe, in England, it wasn't that way. Even King Henry himself defended the faith. He did defend the faith against Luther and he, he, he wrote a paper about it, and it was, um, and the Pope actually gave King Henry VIII the title, Defender of the Faith. And so then there's this, you know, he wrote against Luther's theology, and then Luther rebuttals, and then actually Thomas More ends up writing the, the answer to that, and it goes back and forth. It's a very interesting turn of events. But King Henry, of course, had his Achilles heel and he gave in. He really wanted an annulment from actually a valid marriage. And his wife, Catherine of Aragon, she did not want the divorce and he wanted it. And we all know the rest, the mistress, the whole bit. Finally, his chancellor passes away. He appoints Thomas More, the chancellor who probably didn't want that position because knew it would get him into trouble. But, and then goes to the Pope again with the new chancellor, will you give me my annulment? The Pope says no. And so it goes on in history. And so he establishes 
himself as head of the church in England, of course, which is completely contradictory to what he had done years prior in defending the faith. Of course, at this point, the Pope takes away that title of defender of the faith because he's gone down the wrong road. And this ultimately leads to Thomas More being executed. He's up in the Tower of London for months. And there's a movie called A Man for All Seasons, which I highly recommend. It tells his story and it's good. So anyway, that's a little bit of the historic backdrop. But one of the things to keep in mind is that in England, the people were very, very Catholic. It wasn't like the Protestant Reformation in the rest of Europe, where there was this swelling of people against the church. No. In England, it was starting with King Henry VIII and then through Elizabeth, his daughter, oh my goodness. It was a decades and years, maybe a couple hundred years, where the government, the monarchy, systematically worked to, to uproot Catholicism right out of the culture. And it took generations to do it. And they did it. You know, they did it. These were very difficult, horrific times terrible persecutions. Anyway, starting this off, we have Thomas More and John Fisher, who are kind of in the same boat here. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Thomas More. He went to live with the Carthusians for four years. And during that time, this formed him. I mean, he was already formed as a young man and he had this bent. He was trying to discern the religious life, but he went to the Carthusians and he spent that time. He lived among them uh, with their kind of severe asceticism and uh, religious practice, the rhythm of the, of the monastic life. And then when it was all said and done, he determined that he had a calling to the uh, married life. And so he got married, had children, and then his wife died. And so now he's got four children all under six years old. So he gets married right away and probably for practical reasons. And he was a pretty practical man. Like he choose a wife and, and they consent. And then he was the best husband he could be. He took his role as a husband and father very seriously. And as a Christian, he took that seriously too. He wasn't all about the government. He was not all about having dignitaries at his house or anything like that. Mostly he invited the poor to his house. He, he supported charity works. He was really a Christian and kind, treated everybody equally. He was a good, good, good man. So anyway, he ends up in the, the Tower of London and at some point, now this is a few decades into the future, those Carthusians that he had lived with and received much of his formation from the tower, he could see them being led to the guillotine for being Catholic and not compromising and not acknowledging that King Henry is the, the head of the church. And so the truth is the truth. King Henry's not the head of the church. Jesus set up the head of the church and that was the Pope. Anyway, this is where it all kind of boils down. I wanted to talk about integrity and, and compromise. Uh, there's a lot of ways that we are asked to compromise, to keep a job or um, to keep peace among friends or in the family. There's just a lot of ways that that pressure comes to bear. Uh, for us to compromise. And when we see someone like Thomas More who will not compromise 
at all. And it costs him not only his life, but, but a lot of time in the Tower of London and a lot of suffering. It required of him a deep faith to and trust in Jesus because once he was dead, what would happen to his family that he had proved that he loved and was loyal to and devoted to. Um, he had to really completely trust Jesus. And there's this idea that, you know, go ahead and sign the paper, go ahead and recant, go ahead. But in your heart, you know what you believe. There's that temptation. That temptation was put before Franz Jagerstadter. That temptation was put before Joan of Arc, actually. And for, for a time she did recant. And then the next day said, no, you know, she caved under pressure, but it was only like a very short period of time, maybe 24 hours. No, I'm, I'm rescinding that. I will not recant the truth that the Lord has revealed to me. And so it's always put that way and it'll be put that way before us. Satan has a way of packaging things so that we'll receive them. One of those tricky ways is to put some truth mixed in with the lie so that we glob onto that truth and then all of a sudden the lie is accompanying it into our profession of what we believe and what we will accept and what we will do. These are very trying times and I think Thomas More is a man for this time in history for us. We're not suffering persecution the same way, but it's different. The whole world is being shut down. God is getting our attention and we are asked to compromise in a lot of ways. It makes me think too of the early church, you know, when the persecutions were so uh, difficult during those first couple of centuries. Um, so often the Christians would cave. They, they wouldn't go to martyrdom. I mean, death in the Colosseum, you know, being lit up live torches for lighting the Appian Way, just horrific things at certain times. And so some of them caved. And then when Christianity became legal, there was this idea, well, do we let them back into the church? You know, they caved. Well, the truth is, uh, the church's teaching is yes, we let them back into the church. We forgive. They have suffered terribly for their choice. And also, too, there's that survivor's guilt, like I did what I needed to do to survive, but my best friend died because they wouldn't compromise. There's all of that. And, and that's a temptation too, like I can always go back. You know, I can always recant and, and get back in with Christ. And it's true, look at St. Peter. Um, he was received with compassion and, and received back with Jesus, but then he still did, in the end, have to be able to stand with Christ to the end, meaning his martyrdom. Same thing with Thomas More. Jesus did tell us that if we deny him before men, he would deny us before his Father in heaven. So even if we've caved in small things like business decisions or uh, keeping the peace among certain people, or there's just a variety of ways, getting a license, doing the, whatever it is, we still have time to reorder our loves and we should really look at them. This is the time right now to really take stock of the reality that we're in. The reality being that the unseen world is more real than the physical world and that the decisions we make now matter for eternity. They mattered for Thomas More. I'm glad he stood strong. I'm glad Joan of Arc turned around quickly. I'm glad that Franz Jagerstadter 
stood. That was a World War II guy. He, he would not side with the Nazis. And they wanted a public thing that he would side with the Nazis and he just wouldn't sign it. I'm glad they had the faith. These two men, Moore and Franz, laymen. So when you think about people making that sacrifice, those who are in the laity who make sacrifices and they have families, it's huge. It's a big deal. And their witnesses is wonderful. I ask you again, what are the loves in your life? Have you prioritized them? Are they in the proper order? Is it time to reorder the loves in our lives so that we've got it right for all eternity? And it'll matter to our family, to our friends. You know, Thomas More, he was very well educated. He was a good and kind person. He loved life and he lived it obediently. He's a great example for husbands and fathers. He's a great example for family life. He's a great example for those in government who now, you know, if you are a Catholic and you're in the government now, it's kind of a dicey place for you to be. And I, I think that you need to really go to this saint. He is a friend of ours, a friend, an elder brother in Christ, and we should go to him. It has been my pleasure to be with you today. Pray with me. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, we love you. You've been listening to Your Next Mission from God with Julie Durko, produced at the studios of Mater Dei Radio in Portland, Oregon. To listen to this podcast, visit materdayradio.com. To find out more about Julie's book, Discover Your Next Mission from God, Saints Who Found God's Will and How You Can Too, or if you're in need of a Catholic speaker for a parish mission, retreat, conference, or event, visit catholicfinishstrong.org. That's catholicfinishstrong.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.